0: Today's reading is Jonah chapter 3. Then the Lord spoke to Nineveh a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrows. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ash. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city, No one— Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying all of us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind, and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened them with. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest, as the rest of you see.
1: My name is Daniel Long, and I'm a pastor here at Grace. Um, and the word that kept coming to mind, or the passage, or the verse, uh, while we were singing was the verse or the words of Jesus To us, um, that come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Um, And I was thinking about that um, because, you know, many of us, for whatever reason, so many different reasons, come weary and burdened. And we come um, to worship the God who came to us in Jesus, who says, I will give you rest. So let us pray. Let us pray to that God who wants to give us rest that we might hear from Him this morning. Lord God, so many of us are weary, are burdened, and we need Your rest. We're weary, we're burdened by personal heartache, difficulty, struggle, and we need Your rest. Our world is weary from violence. As we think about Florida, God, as we think about the 17 people at Stonemason High School who lost their lives, we we think of that city, we think of that school, we think of those families who are weary and who are burdened. We think of our world and our country who is weary and burdened. And Lord Jesus, we need your rest. We need you, Lord Jesus, to come to make all things new, to heal and to restore. Lord God, we need you and your rest in our lives because it often is so hard and so difficult to know what we should do, who we should be what it means to follow after you, what it means to be in relationship to others. But Lord, you are with us and you are for us. And so Lord Jesus, I ask that you this morning would remind us that you are the shepherd who leads us. You are the shepherd who gives us rest. You are the one who came to us in flesh in Jesus Christ and said to us, That we can come to you. Thank you that you are that type of God. Help us to remember that that is who we are listening to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in um, a series on the book of Jonah. And we're going to be in Jonah 3 this morning. If you actually want to take out a blue Bible which is underneath your seat. um, And you can turn to page 775. So just a reminder that this that Jonah isn't a children's story, it's not simply a story about a man who was swallowed up by a big fish, and we're trying to figure out how that is biologically possible, um, but rather it's a story about a prophet who has a problem with God, the Word of God came to this prophet Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital city ...of the Assyrian Empire who were like this, this massive enemies against the people of Israel... ...and I want you to proclaim a message to them. And instead of saying, okay, Jonah actually goes the exact opposite way. And while doing so, he finds himself on a boat... ...then thrown out of a boat, then swallowed up by a fish. And last week we looked at his prayer that he prayed in the belly of the beast... ...in the belly of the fish, crying out for help from God... And God gave help because salvation, as it says in the prayer, belongs to the Lord. And help came by way of the fish vomiting Jonah up onto dry land. And so that is the end of chapter 2 and where we find ourselves um, this morning. So I just kind of want to take a broad brushstroke of the narrative of of chapter 3. Because by all accounts it seems really simple, and it is. Actually the flow of the narrative is simple. Um, and so I kind of want to go through that, and then I want to talk, just make some observations about the narrative that I found really interesting, and questions about the text that I don't necessarily have answers for, so maybe you can help me out with that. But I think it's really fascinating, because, so Jonah's a prophetic book, right? It's a book of, a part of the prophets. And the prophets is this book that actually was a word of judgment for the people of Israel, but also a word of hope. And usually... In a prof, like in the book of the prophets, you have so many words of God that are spoken, and it's almost in the way of poetry. But Jonah comes to us as a narrative; it comes to us as a story, and most of the words that are spoken are actually. Either the words of the author who wrote them down, or the words of Jonah who prayed, or the words of of other people, other characters. So just the way that it's laid out, the way that it's presented to us, is really fascinating um, to at least consider. And so we're going to look at the narrative of Jonah chapter 3, and how it sort of works, and the different movements within it. So I'm just going to walk through the text, if you want to look down, I'll I'll mention some verses here and there, and then, like I said, make some observations on it. So, in, in, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he says in verse 2, So go tell this message to the people of Nineveh that, that I want to proclaim to them. And let's not forget, I already mentioned it, but it's so central, that Nineveh, Jonah would never want to go there. It's actually not crazy that he would want to go somewhere else. This was; These were the enemies of the people of Israel. They did heinous things to the people of Israel. That's not the only reason, though. I don't think Jonah wanted to go there. I think Jonah actually knew who this God was and what this God was capable of in terms of mercy and grace. So if he's going to go give the word of God to the people of Nineveh, in a sense, God is giving the people of Nineveh an opportunity, a chance to be different, to do something new. Jonah doesn't... Want that? Do we want that for our enemies often? Do we want our enemies to have another opportunity, a second chance, if you will, um, at life or grace or whatever? So Jonah does actually go into the city of Nineveh. And in verse 3, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was a massive city. So it would take three days to actually journey across Nineveh. So it's actually really big. Now this is part of the outlandishness of the text. That because cities in ancient time were actually really small. And so for this to be a three days journey is just pointing to this fact of, okay, well here's some elements of the story. We're just wanting to show you that this is sort of a, a big idea. All of these elements, all of the specificity is there to say, Okay, think of this as if it's like a parable of something that we need to be thinking about in terms of our own lives, but also who God is. So Nineveh is this massive city, three days journey. And Jonah began to go into the city. And he calls out, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now in Hebrew, that's only five words. And scholars like to joke about the fact that this is the shortest sermon in the Bible. It's this five-word sermon. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then it says the people of Nineveh believed God. From the oldest to the youngest, they put on sackcloth, which is like this. It's not like burlap. I think that was in the um, translation today. But sackcloth could also be made of like goat's hair. It would be something that that they would put on themselves to sort of wallow in their anguish, their shame. It was a sign of repentance, of wanting to, okay, we recognize um, how big of a deal this is and we need to be different. So then the word reached the king of Nineveh. So it went from the people, from the oldest to the youngest, then it got to the king, and it says he arose from his throne, this is in verse 6, and then he issued in verse 7 a proclamation that it was published through all of Nineveh. And he says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from their violence that is in their hands. Who knows? Which is an interesting... Who knows, right? God may actually turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and He had said that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now here's what's fascinating about this text. One is... Um, That in in verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Nineveh, or to Jonah, to go to Nineveh. Jonah preached this proclamation to Nineveh. Yet not 40 days, right? Again in verse 4. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what is the one thing in this proclamation, in this sermon, that is not mentioned? God. So the sermon that Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh, he never actually mentions God. God. Yet, the people of Nineveh somehow understand what Jonah is attempting to say. And then they begin and repent. Now, I think the text is sort of ridiculous or outlandish in this sense for a specific reason. And one of the things I think it's attempting to say is that the focus in this part of the text and all throughout is on the word of the Lord. That it's the actual word being proclaimed. I mean, you have the word of the Lord mentioned three times in this text. You have it in verse 1, right? The word of the Lord came to to Jonah. You have it in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. Then you have it in verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. There's this sense in, it's not so much that God is mentioned or isn't mentioned. It's the actual where the word comes from. It's the power of the word itself that has the ability or opportunity to help people recognize the truth of their situation. Now, there's another thing that I find really interesting, another observation I'd like to make about this text, is that it's this long kind of focus on the king of Nineveh and his response. So the word reached the king of Nineveh, this is again in verse 6, covers himself. He issued a proclamation that was published through Nineveh. And then listen to his decree. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. I think of this... Well, no, let's actually continue. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. My question here is, what... What did the cows ever do? <laughs> like, but here you have this decree saying, no, let man and beast, herd nor flock taste anything. The whole country, all of it, needs to fast. None of them can drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Everything in all of the country needs to repent. They need to recognize the weight of of what they've done, specifically the violence. But again, what did the cows ever do? Why are they to blame? Well, one thing I think this particular part of the text is getting at is that in ancient times, and surely this was true of the people of Israel, that sin, evil, was a corporate reality, not an individual problem. It is in that we each have our individual issues and in that we're each problematic in the way that we live and that we are each guilty of sin. Yet we're, there's this fundamental belief that we're all connected in some way so that my sin actually affects you and your sin actually affects me. And that our sin together affects this whole thing. That isn't just about me and God, isn't just about you and God, it's about us, creation, the world, man, beast, humanity, animals, and all that's been created, and God. That somehow there's this relationship between God and what He has made. That what we do Matters. This fundamental belief that we are all somehow connected. And when I was reading this this week, when I was thinking about it, I actually couldn't stop thinking about Florida. Because it's easy to think, oh, well, that's, well, one, it's easy to, to, it's so sad to read all of these things all the time, and we become like, oh, another one. No, not another one. Like, it's not just something that happened over there. Somehow, it affects us. Somehow, in some way, we are all responsible. We are all affected. And that's about tragedy. That's about heartache. That's about, that's about anything that happens. That, there's this fundamental belief in the book of Jonah, in the book of Scripture, that because we are made by God in His image that we all are playing a part in what is going on and that my sin affects you and your sin affects me and our sin affects one another. So therefore, when the word of the Lord comes to the king of Nineveh, then everybody, all things, are to repent. This includes children who, we would argue, well, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were a part of. No, but sin is a corporate reality. Injustice is something that's systemic and ongoing and that we are all participants in. And we therefore all have a responsibility to hear from God, hear the word of the Lord. And as the king of Nineveh says, repent to turn around because then God himself may relent and turn. And that's another thing that I want to focus on, another observation. So in verse 8, king of Nineveh says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now this word, turn from, now there's this Hebrew word, it's called shuv. And the Hebrew word shuv means to repent or means to turn. And when and, and maybe you've heard this before, but whatever. Um, this It's an actual literal image that one is supposed to get in, with the word shuv. It's the literal image of somebody walking a certain direction, Somebody's saying, nope, not that way. And you say, oh, okay. And then you, you turn and go the other way. To turn, to repent, is to shuv, is to be... Well, to recognize that the direction you were headed was wrong. And that you then go the opposite way. And so the king of Nineveh says... We need to turn away, to go the opposite way, because of the word of the Lord, of what we're doing. And if then, perhaps, God himself will relent. And not, not enact on us the judgment that he put forth. And see, what's really fascinating here is the juxtaposition that is now created between the Ninevites and the prophet Jonah. Because the prophet Jonah, what happens at the beginning of Jonah 1? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, go to Nineveh to proclaim this message. And what did Jonah do? He went the wrong way. Like the actual wrong way. Not toward Nineveh, but toward Tarshish. But in this text, in, part, in chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes to the king of Nineveh, to the people of Nineveh, and what happens? They repent. They turn around. And so here's the beauty of the narrative of Jonah, is that who you think you should follow in the text is actually not... The one you should probably think, oh, this is a, yeah, this is a story about a prophet. Okay, he's going to be my hero. He's going to be the model. And nope. The people of Nineveh, the enemies, actually, in some weird way in the text, become the model of what it means to hear the word of the Lord and to repent and to turn. And I find that so fascinating and I find that so striking But ultimately, you have these two things juxtaposed together. The word of the Lord coming to Jonah, going the wrong way. The word of Nineveh coming to them, and they repent, and and God actually relents. And he does not enact upon the people of Nineveh the judgment that he was proclaiming. And so this whole narrative points to who this God is. This God whose word comes to people. I would say this text points to a God who is incredibly gracious and merciful. And before we actually kind of throw Jonah out of the boat, per se, as someone we don't want to follow, I find, personally, right now, the first sentence of Jonah 3, one of the most remarkable moments of grace in the book of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I find that so full of wonder and grace. And yet it's so simple because it's this idea that God's word came to Jonah, he went the wrong way and it wasn't like God was like, well, alright. No. No. The word of God came to Jonah the second time. This is the God of the book of Jonah. This is the God in Scripture whose word comes to us again and again and again because he is a God so rich in mercy and in grace. And here's why it's good news for me personally. Because, and I think for us as a church, we're in a position, in a situation, in a context of our story that is so odd and strange and wild. And there's this, there's this temptation to think that, wow, we can't get this wrong. Right? We can't get this wrong. Because if we do, then all of a sudden we will have missed out on whatever it is God has had for us. Or there's the temptation to think, maybe we have gotten it wrong. And so we've actually missed out on what God has for us. Neither of those things are true. Because the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Because the word of the Lord actually came to Nineveh the first time. His very enemies. And they were given a chance and an opportunity to turn. And that is good news. Because I don't, there's this, in a, in a moment of relational discord, maybe in a marriage, I can speak specifically from my own context in a marriage, not that we ever have arguments or we're fine, no. Um, but when there's this, like when there's a, a time and a moment of relational discord, right? When something is struggling, all of a sudden there's this temptation to think, Oh my goodness the next thing is going to determine the whole future of it all. If you're, if you're in a time of, of tension and of, of frustration, you think, oh, we just need a date night. I'm not hating on date nights. I'm all for them. I love them. Um, but there's this sense of think, oh, we just need we just need that. Or you know what we need? We just need to go to therapy. Again, not hitting on therapy. In it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) But we just need the next thing or else the future is dark and really non-existent. We just need in this time to do this, we just need to listen to each other. We just need to make sure that we, we don't do this and we do more of this. But I think what that misses is that our relationship with God and as the people of God is to rest on the bedrock of Grace. And is it to rest on the reality that God came to Jonah a second time? Because we believe in a God who doesn't just give us one chance. Thank God. But whose word comes to us and comes to us and comes to us. And so that as we find ourselves in a position in life and maybe you're new and maybe you don't know and understand our story and that's fine but maybe you're someone here or our story is like the very least of your worries because what you're trying to do is just hang on to the fact that you know what, my life feels like it's crumbling and I just, think, I just feel like the next thing I do is going to determine whatever the future is going to be. Well, I want to offer good news to you that I believe that God is with you now And I believe that God will continue to be with you and that the Word of God will come to you again and again and again. And that we all together, that you have an opportunity to go in a direction and God says, nope, not that way. And you say, okay. Like, that is grace that is the god in the book of jonah and the question before us is do we believe that that is the god whom we serve and worship do we interact with one another do we speak to one another believing and trusting that that is the god who has brought together brought us together marilyn robinson who's I have like a literary crush on Marilyn Robinson. She's just an older woman. but um, She's written some incredible books, uh, novels. And she says this in one of her essays. And she's talking about creation. Like, she's the, like the creation narrative. And she said that God's first act of grace toward us was to make us worthy of his attention and loyalty and love. That God's first act of grace... In creation, making us in his image, was to make us worthy of his attention and loyalty and love. And that's amazing, that we are made by God in such a way that we are made by him to be worthy of his attention, of his loyalty, and of his grace. Not because of what I've done. I mean, the king of Nineveh didn't relent, didn't repent, didn't turn because of his intelligence, and all of a sudden he's like, oh man, this is probably a bad idea. No, it's because the word of the Lord came to him. The reason Jonah has a chapter 3 and a chapter 4 is because the word of the Lord came to him a second time. That God has made you and me and us worthy of his attention and loyalty. And love. And that is the ground, the foundation on which this whole thing we do actually rests. This belief that God isn't done with me, no matter where I find myself, with you, no matter where you find yourself in the story, with us, Grace Long Beach. That God isn't done with us. Because as it says in Philippians 1 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We worship, we believe, we trust a God who is full of immeasurable grace toward us. We believe, we trust, we worship and serve a God whose word comes to us. And will continue to come to us. And we will have opportunity. And we will go the wrong way. And we have. But guess what? The word of the Lord will come to us a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, however many times. And we can turn. And we can go after him. That, my friends, is the good news. It's the grace of God that makes this whole thing possible. That's why you are here and I am here and why this thing exists is because of God's grace first coming to us in his creation of us and continuing to come to us, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to end with these words from the Apostle Paul that was written... To the church in Ephesus. But they're also words for us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Just listen. Let this be our blessing, our benediction, if you will, for this morning. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever you felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment just like everyone else. However, the most important however, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. And he did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of His grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something that you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Thanks be to the God of grace.